By the way, this is episode 50, Adam. How about that? Wow. Well, we don't fucking quit. Wanna make that paper? Wanna make that What's up, everybody? This is Josh coming to you with another episode of the Affiliate Marketing Show. Please be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to stay up to date on all the latest industry t- industry trends, tips, and tricks. I'm Josh from OfferVault.com, the industry's largest aggregator of all things affiliate marketing. We have Mr. Papercall Adam Young, as well as the industry legend Harrison Gewurz, plus our special guest today on episode 50... Carter York, co-founder of Policy Jar, a company that helps you scale your business by delivering the most relevant and conversion-ready leads directly to you. What is up, Carter? How are we doing today? We're doing great, man. Happy to be uh, number 50 on your episode. I know, man. It's a big deal. Like you said, this is the silver. We'll plan on getting you back for the gold and maybe roughly another 12 months, but let's dive right into it here. Tell me a little bit about Policy Jar. You know, I was looking at your site. I know you guys focus a lot on the insurance space. Um, so I'm just curious, like, why why the insurance space? Did you find from your own experience that was kind of the most lucrative or, you know, the best long-term plan? Yeah, I mean, from my past experience, it was just kind of the next logical step because the people I partnered up with were all in the insurance space as well. And as you probably know, ACA and Medicare have been the two hottest verticals uh, in the last year by far. So instead of promoting all the calls to, you know, different various brokers and affiliate networks, we thought it'd make more sense for us to go directly with the buyers. Um, By doing so, it's helping us increase the quality significantly because as we're, you know, getting higher payouts from the buyers, it allows us to scale more profitably while also keeping quality up. So it's been a win-win across the board. Yeah. And, you know, like I mentioned, you guys do uh, conversion ready leads and on your site, qualified insurance leads that convert. So my next question is like, what's your process of establishing, you know, this level of qualification? Like, how do you determine when a lead is qualified and when it's not? Yeah, we'll do several things from uh, the initial inbound as well as the the follow-up monetization on that. So on the initial inbound, we usually have a pretty stringent qualifying quiz on the landing pages. Um, it's actually a pretty rampant problem in the, the space right now, especially in the last few months, that people have kind of done away with pre-qualifying people for certain verticals, especially in ACA. A lot of people did away with the, uh, the Medicare and Medicaid disqualifications and income levels and things, um, basically to increase their profit a little bit in the short term, but they're really giving up a lot of the long-term uh, relationships with these buyers by doing so. We're getting a lot of complaints from people um, in the space about that. So we have a very stringent uh, qualification process on the front end to ensure that every single person that comes through to these buyers is a qualified person ready to talk to them. Um, more importantly, and I think this is the way that we differentiate ourselves from other companies, is we also focus on back-end monetization. Um, where we have certain rules and scripts in place in our ringbow, where if any of these users convert in any capacity for any of these buyers, we automatically segment them out of our list immediately. Uh, That's to ensure that we're not reselling these users to buyers more than once. And from doing that, we've seen retention rates increase significantly for people. Um, I think that was probably the biggest reason that they are excited about working with us is from our outbound call center with the transfers, because they're only ever getting people that they haven't spoken with before. I think 
highlighting something you said there is really important, and that's taking the time to make sure that the buyers are not only getting a qualified lead, but that you're not cannibalizing those calls by selling the same person to multiple buyers over and over again. And I think some of the practices that are going on in paper call right now are really detrimental to the the like long-term practice of being a, a paper call publisher. Like for instance, selling a phone call to somebody and then when they hang up and disqualify, trying to sell that exact same live caller in a very confusing uh, consumer experience to another buyer, even though you already know that caller isn't uh, caller isn't qualified. And so what what happens when you don't do what Carter is doing, Carter's team is doing, is you murder the LTVs, the long-term value of the insurance policies that these companies are actually binding. And then over time, what they figure out is that certain publishers, they may result in bound policies, but those policies end up switching to another provider very, very quickly because the publisher is selling the call to multiple parties. And then those multiple parties are continuously selling the insurance and getting people to switch. And so over time, I think anyone that is not being thoughtful about how how they're actually doing this, like Carter and, and their team, will actually end up washing out or losing those direct buyer relationships as buyers become more and more sophisticated and look at data over um, their LTV portfolios and, and what sources actually provided those phone calls. And so I really love to hear you say that, Carter. Like I know a lot of affiliates are not long-term thinkers and there's a lot of new affiliates in paper calls. So they're still like getting their feet wet and learning the tips and tricks. But I think one of the most important things people can do in the space is be mindful about the LTV and the quality that they're selling to buyers. Because if you do that, you can create a really, really successful long-term business. Um, what are some, you know, I know you guys are doing a bunch of other things. What are some other things that you're doing to ensure really high uh, call quality to your buyers? Um, I think the other thing is that we have a internal call center itself that has about 80 different agents in there. Um, I can't remember the exact number of managers, but each segment of the teams has their own manager. I think one manager for every 20 or 25 agents. And they're doing quality assurance to ensure that every single person is sticking to the exact script because we do give them a very small commission for every transfer they initiate. So we have to constantly be doing quality control to make sure they're not saying, oh, you can 100% get this free money. Just let me transfer you real quick. Because again, that ruins the retention rate with these customers. So we have a very uh, stringent policing process for that with these managers. Nice. I, I like that. And I think that incentivizing the managers too to do the quality assurance is is really important. You know, um, back in the day when I did the paper caller show, the most popular episode is with me and Manny Zuccarelli from Quote Velocity. And it's really funny that that's the most popular episode because we literally only talked about quality assurance for almost an hour. And the conclusion that we came up with is that quality assurance and oversight is actually a profit center. If you do it correctly, it's not like overhead. Um, and so that's that's really cool that you guys are are thinking in that way. Um, do you also, after you do your phone calls, do you have any like long tail review process where you're transcribing or listening to the calls and like training your team? Um, so I, we ha we were planning on building out a tech for that internally, but the the timing is kind of funny with this because it looks like you guys are rolling out a transcription tool on Ringba right now for that exact <laughs> thing, right? I didn't yeah, mean to plug, plug your, your software so quickly in the podcast, but you guys did just roll that out. So it was really good timing for that. 
Well, thanks. I mean, I'll plug it. Ringbiz is, ama- is amazing. Everyone should use it. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we could all agree on that. But no, we did just roll out some transcription tech and it's new. Um, sentiment analysis and call summarization is coming probably early next year sometime. Also conversion detection, keyword spotting, that type of thing. A lot of the the sort of obvious um, tools that will that you would expect to be built in. So I, I'm excited about that because I think you know, creating an environment where everyone has the tools to do quality assurance and improve their quality is something that the whole industry can get behind. So it's something um, we're actually really, really passionate about. Um, And hell, I mean, like, I'm so passionate about this, I'll even plug our friend Carlos and his new products. He's basically doing something very similar with uh, calldynamics.ai. And I don't even view this as like a competitive thing. I view it as something that I want to see more of. I want to see more of these tools out in the ecosystem, in the marketplace, because I, I want paper call to be sustainable for the long term so that um, so that everyone can get involved. So I'm super excited about ours, about his. And I know there's some others out in the space, too. And, um, we, you know, like I, I don't know who wins or loses, but for us, we don't care. It's not really even a profit center. We just want to see these tools out there and, and being used so that call quality goes up. So Carter, I'm looking on your site here. I see you guys list a few different insurance verticals, life, health, auto. We also have final expense, home and Medicare. You mentioned a few specifically uh, just a little bit ago, but I'm curious, like what in your opinion are the most popular, um, you know, long-term right now? And also which ones specifically typically produce like the best, you know, earning potential for your partners? Uh, yeah, I mean, the most profitable right now is ACA, without a doubt. Uh, open enrollment just ended on Friday, as as most of you know. Um, however, for long-term profits, I'm not entirely sold on if that's going to be the, the case, because I'm imagining a ton of new regulations coming out for ACA next year before open enrollment. Um, I think a lot of these buyers were getting slaughtered with the uh, retention rates that they're actually seeing on these callers versus what they're estimating to get. Um, so a lot of people cashed in really quick on the ACA market. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to see for the landscape of that next year. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that was the biggest one for us by far. Medicare, probably a close second. And then the other ones kind of fell by the wayside a little bit as we focus on those two. Um, especially cause our remonetization efforts were very specifically in the ACA niches. That's where most of our data was coming from. Yeah, and my next question is, is it pronounced niches or niches? Because this is a common discussion topic on the podcast. I, I think that's up for debate. It's, uh, it's how everyone pronounces it, I think, between like the GIF and GIF debate, where most people say it incorrectly, but I say, if you say it I say I say GIF, but someone told me they met the guy who like started no. it, and he said it's called GIF. I think technically it is, but you're going to cause controversy. Like instead of saying yeah. immature, my mom says immature and people wince every time she says that, like, even though it's the proper way to probably say it. So from the six different insurance, you know, categories I named, is that kind of like where you guys started when you, you know, launched policy jar or was it more like you were slowly adding stuff as you saw like a need for it? Um, our main traffic sources by far were and still are ACA and Medicare. So policy jar kind of functioned more as a, a bolt-on business for our other two marketing companies. So um, I have I have several partners in this company. Myself and another one have two other media buying agencies separately from one another, and they both flow into policy jar. And we're both pushing ACA probably as the heaviest vertical. So 
it made the most sense to start there for the inbounds as well as the remonetization. And now as OEP has ended, we're starting to branch out into those other verticals so we can cross monetize all these leads. But yeah, ACA was basically the funnel to get everybody in initially, and then we'll start remonetizing in the other verticals. Let's talk about that actually, because I really love your product. Can you give us like a high level overview of how a publisher or media company would work with policy jar? Yeah, so we do a couple of different things. So a publisher working with us specifically, um, as of right now, we have a lot of direct buyer relationships. We have luckily been filling most of the cap ourselves, so there hasn't been much opportunity for brokering there yet. I think the main way we're bringing in publishers currently is that we're remonetizing their data. Because uh, as you and I discussed in Denver, Adam, uh, a lot of affiliates, I would, I would go to say probably the vast majority of them are not doing anything with their data. Um, and I think Ray Sinler was the one that explained this to me where most people are renting their traffic. They're not buying their traffic. You're getting a click one time, you're never seeing them again. But when you're buying your traffic and keeping the data, we can go remonetize them via SMS or our outbound call center. Um, some of the other remonetization efforts are probably going to fall by the wayside with the new uh, FCC rulings. Um, but yeah, the main thing we're doing with our, our publishers right now is we're having them just let us uh, add our TCPA language underneath their call button, as well as some Janaya tokens and other things on the lander to um, capture consent to be contacted by our company. And then we we have it set up. So also with them, uh, anytime they reach the conversion duration, those people are getting segmented out of our list as well to maintain the retention rates for our buyers. And then we're remonetizing those people via either SMS uh, or outbound call center to either sell them on, you know, resell them on ACA or similar products that they're eligible for. Yeah, I think I think that's really the key between uh, a publisher and a media house. I think with a publisher, they they're like Ray said, you know, they just rent their traffic. They're just buying a click and then never seeing it again. But a media house really takes the time to figure out all these different types of monetization layers. And that's really what sets them apart from everybody else. And so if someone's using a service like Policy Jar, they can effectively pay more money to acquire a caller and because they can pay more money to acquire a caller than a publisher that's not using policy jar or doing some other type of remonetization, they're going to get more calls and be able to run significantly higher volume because they have that layer in place. And some other people are doing all sorts of things like this. They're using, for instance, our instant caller profiles to do direct mail campaigns on their data. They upload their data to Facebook and TikTok and YouTube and create lookalike audiences and retargeting segments and all these things. And so I think what you guys are doing is a really important part of the ecosystem, because if you can help more publishers sort of own their data better, then um, it's going to help them build a better business that that lasts longer. So I really love your product. And, um, you know, you didn't mention any of your partner's names, but I'm a big fan of uh, the guy who runs policy jar and built it. Uh, he's been in the industry a really long time and, and has a ton of just background. And so I know he's doing a fantastic job. So I, I really like the product and service that you guys are offering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can plug him. I mean, it's Ryan Kaufman. I didn't know because uh, he uh, he actually asked, he's like, should I hop on this podcast too in case he asks any tech questions? I was like, uh, I can ask him. But he asked me that very briefly, like not too long ago. So I don't know if we'd have time to run it by you. But if we do another episode, we can bring him on because I'm sure he's got tons we'll of insights on that. Bring him on the next one for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he built out a huge call center for a big uh, competing company that did a lot of co-reg data. So it was a 
really obvious decision to hire him and basically just tack him onto our business because it was it was profitable almost immediately because of him. It would have took me six months to figure it out on my own. We should have Ryan on the the show on another episode, Josh. Oh, he'd love it. He asked if he could hop on this one, so I'm sure he'd be happy to get on another one. Yeah, I actually funny story when it comes to Ryan. I went to Jason Akatif, friend of the pods. Uh, mastermind event in San Diego and Ryan went up on stage and gave his first public presentation. So I tracked him down in the hallway afterwards and we just chatted for a while. And then I realized I moved into the same apartment that he had and I had been receiving all of his Christmas gifts that year. And so I had like bottles of wine from affiliate networks and gift baskets and steaks and like just like tons of stuff. I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Uh, and it was just like to this Ryan guy, Ryan Kaufman. So then I go to Jason's event and see him up on stage. And I'm like, holy shit, I've been getting all this guy's Christmas gifts. <laughs> yeah, that's, how I, that's actually how I originally met Ryan this year was I never knew who he was. But we had mutual friends on Facebook. Um, and he posted back in, I think, June or July that he was looking to get back into the affiliate traffic side of things and looking to network with people. So I got on a call with him. I asked what what he did previously before getting into this, and he said he ran a big call center to monetize people's data. And it 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 took a decent amount of convincing, but I was like, dude, let's just one more time around the block, man. Let's just open up one more call center. Like I'll teach you media buying if you want to. Um, but after we sent all the traffic into the call center and we basically trounced his his last company's uh top rev by uh like day three, the their top daily rev mark that they hit. He's like, yeah, I don't want to do media buying anymore. I'll just manage the, the call center for you guys again. Um, so it's super, super, you know, very easy for him. It was like riding a bike. Do you, so guys, I, use, do you guys use distributed agents or is this like a physical location? It's physical location. Nice. What's up, Harrison? Oh, Harrison's no, it's, it's muted. Audio cut out. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm having a dog issue, but I'm good. I'm good. I was dealing with a dog, but we're good. I, I miss I, you, man. I want to get you more in this episode, dude. Sorry. Yeah, I was dealing with a little crisis here at dog. I'm in a <laughs> hotel room currently with a kitchenette. So as you know, it's very luxurious. Um, <laughs> Harrison spoke at my last uh, mastermind event. So we could talk about that if you want, Harrison. To have well, a that's, here. Well, I, that's, I'd love to jump in yeah. and have you talk about your masterminds in general before we, we jump into that because, you know, I've, I really do love what you've done with the masterminds. It's, it's a completely yeah. different approach compared to what else exists in terms of events in the space. So yeah, if uh, you kind of want to hop in. Sure. Um, um, I, I think it turned out to be a completely different approach because I never had any in, intention of doing masterminds. People kind of forced it onto me. It wasn't even my decision. So um, about a year ago, last summer, Michael Walker and Ray and I said we wanted to rent like a mansion in Lake Tahoe and invite three or four of our closest affiliate friends to just kind of go boating and hang out on the beach all day and talk about ads. Um, and a couple of them asked like, oh, can I invite one more person, please? I was like, yeah, I, that's fine. I don't care. Um, and I go to bed and I wake up the next day and now this Skype group has like 65 or 70 people in it. And they renamed named the Skype group to CarterCon as a joke. And they were like, it became this whole thing and people came in there and like everyone was talking without me in there and uh, essentially decided that this was going to be a big mastermind thing. So I was like, shit, now I have to go like book hotels for everybody and like plan activities. And it, it ended up being a really cool thing where everyone showed up for free. Um, I think if you 
kind of like feel the dreams. If you build it, they'll come. And all I did was tell people we were going to have a great time at this place at this date and everyone showed up. Um, so the first one was very informal. Um, for the record, I also hated that they called it Carter Con, but the number one rule with nicknames is you can't tell people you hate it or it's going to stick. So uh, it absolutely stuck. Um, and then the next one, again, I didn't plan on doing a mastermind. And my good friend Romano approached me and said, hey, you have a really great uh, group going on here. At this point, I think we're up to like 200 people in the Skype group. Um, and Romano said, you know, I'm noticing a big gap in the industry. There's a lot of affiliates who are making brand new money and they have absolutely no idea what to do with it, how to invest it, what to do about taxes, um, how to lower like your risk when uh, taxes are due at the end of the year. So he wanted to do an event specifically based around that. Um, and that's kind of how the next event came about. And uh, it was his idea that he actually wanted to charge everybody to attend this next event. I think it was like $2,000 a person um, because we were trying to go all out with it with open bars and catered dinners and party buses and like everything was completely paid for the entire way. Um, about, I think like three or four weeks before the event happened, we noticed that we had maybe 75 people signed up at that time. And we were expecting like a few hundred based on the buzz in the group before that. And I was wondering what was going on. And one of my good friends actually reached out to me and said, hey, um, some people are hesitant to come to this event because they're saying in another group, they feel like it's like a cash grab and you're trying to make money off of your friends and things like that. Um, for the record, it absolutely was not because everything at that uh, event was pretty much going to be paid for by the, the registration fees. However, um, Romano and I cared significantly more about our reputation in the industry than we cared about making any profit off of this event so i posted uh, a group in the skype chat basically of me chugging a beer and i was like all right guys like i'm refunding the whole 2k to Great everybody video. uh yeah oh you saw that yeah i didn't remember oh if you guys i watched it, at that it. Point. and i said to yeah. adam and he watched it and then i watched it again i'm guessing me and yeah. adam each watched it a couple times because we were like that's yeah. a fucking video <laughs> right like, dude, what and... the hell is going on but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but again, because I care about my reputation so much. Wait, more so than I, I didn't, I didn't see the video. So what'd you do? You chugged um, a beer. <laughs> I'll send. I'll, I can send you the video after this. That's on there. I, I, he chugs a beer, and then he's like, "There's like a cat in the background." I don't know. He's like, "We're giving you all your fucking money back. It's free. We want you guys to come, come to the event." And yeah, it looks like, lit. and I mean no disrespect by this, but it looked like parent, like your your bedroom at your parents house vibes like i don't know exactly that where was, were that you was the, that was the bedroom at my parents house because i was back there yes! for some reason it, <laughs> it definitely looked like a parent's house um but i uh yeah it was that was exactly what it was because almost a spiteful video where i chugged the beer i was like all right some people are saying this is a cash grab i'm gonna show you it's not fuck the 2k i'm gonna pay for this whole event myself and we were expecting to pay like a couple hundred grand out of pro uh pocket but um the really cool thing about that was when i told everybody that and that I was still going to do the event because I cared about the value that it was going to bring to everybody. Uh, a lot of sponsors stepped up, like a lot of affiliate networks actually reached out to me and they said, Hey, I love what you're doing. We want to sponsor up to this amount. Uh, I think Brandon Bowski sponsored a decent amount of it as well. Um, Ringba also graciously sponsored all the hotel rooms with their, their travel agency and got a significant discount for everybody. So that was great. Um, so all in all, I mean, we still lost a little bit of money on it, but, I can't tell you how much value has come from doing these Carter, events for me. Like, how did um, how did the event go from being called CarterCon to Pelican? Because I don't know the story behind uh, that. That was. I have a feeling was, I'm not the only one curious about that. Yeah, I so CarterCon. It was originally CarterCon 2.0, I think. Um, but this was supposed to originally be Romano's event without me having much to do with it. Um, and obviously, he didn't want to 
put on an event called Carticon 2.0 with his name attached to it. So he came up with that, I think, because it was in Tampa Bay and Pelicans might be there. I don't know. Um, so, so that was, I don't, there's not really a great story for why, for why that was the case at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it ended up being a great event and then that was a good segue. So it, without having all that funding, we had to get pretty scrappy with certain things such as like tech setup and the venue and things. So the venue actually ended up being, uh, an old like cathedral church that they gutted out and turned into like a whiskey lounge, which somehow, you know, they had stained glass cathedral windows, but at the same time had like taxidermied animals on the wall. And it was definitely a very uh, unique experience, I think, for everybody that came. Um, and I remember there's like a huge railing at the front of it that people couldn't see you talking. So I had to run out like the day of the event and go by this like really janky riser that people had to stand on. And I remember Adam and Harrison showed up and Adam looked at it. And the first thing he said, he's like, there's no way that's OSHA compliant, dude. <laughs> dude like, someone was going to die. <laughs> yeah. And, and then right afterwards, you're like, Harrison, get on up there and take walk a few laps, bro. I like to see if it collapses and see how you feel up there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it didn't collapse and Harrison gave a really awesome talk. I did awesome not die. Talk. So, you know, yeah. good work. Yeah, that was that was the first time you came out of retirement uh, to speak at an event, I think, in years, right? Yeah, like over a decade. I had I had a ton of fun. I think that it was it was truly a great event. Um, you, you was know, this just like a few given... months ago? Yeah, it was May. May. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Bro. I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I thought it was so Carter, how did awesome how did Harrison do speaking, Carter? It was awesome, man. I mean, his his topic was on something. No, it was, <laughs> dude, it was great. You were you were the opener, and there's, I mean, I'd say there's probably about a hundred people in there, um, in the in the church watching Harrison preach at the front of it. It was um, the best presentation of the entire event, Josh. Yeah, unbiased it opinion. It was it mm-hmm. was amazing. Did yeah. you speak? You spoke to Adam yes. or no? No, I uh, I actually wasn't going to make it. So I was going to speak, but I had to go uh, out of town for another event. But that event got canceled. And, and then you so and then I you saw the riser. Up. You saw the riser. Well, so and you're flew, like, fuck that. I flew, yeah, exactly. Well, I flew to <laughs> I flew down to Tampa for the event. And Carter was gracious enough to let me do Harrison's opener. So I did Harrison's opener. I did hop on the riser of death and Mm -hmm. uh, introduce Harrison to the audience. But Harrison did uh, an amazing job connecting with the audience and telling his story. And I think it was a really great opener because it was super inspirational and just sort of set the tone for the rest of the event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think your topic really covered the the exact essence like we're going for with that event where, I mean, the long-term relationship and providing value for people is going to get you so much further in the long run than the quick cash grab and taking advantage of people in the industry. Um, that's like the whole reason I was doing those events. So you opening it up with that exact topic was perfect. So something I do want to touch on though, Carter, because I understand why you did with what you did with not charging for the event and it turned out great and we were mm-hmm. super excited to participate in it. So this is not a criticism, but this is something that I learned and I thought might be interesting to discuss. And so we've hosted some educational events as well, and we decided to charge for them. And we have a lot more coming. I'm literally sitting in the Ringba Mastermind house right now, just waiting on furniture before we announce our first event. And by the way, you can find more information about that in the video description. It's called Ringba's Inner Circle. Please make sure you go and submit your email to stay informed on future events. Go ahead, Adam. What were you saying? Wow. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. 
no and so we just we decided to charge for events and so when we did a free one um and we have results right like the the people who work with us we can look at before and after call volume results at an event and when we did free ones what we noticed is that people didn't make any major changes in their business almost because they didn't value the information they were receiving and then we did our first uh, couple paid events you were at one of them and we noticed that the results of the paid events were substantial, drastic, in fact, because people felt like they needed to uh, get a return on investment. Speak is what they, they're invested into the event. They want to take it more seriously, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we saw the psychological outcome of that with what people did in their businesses. People made major changes in their businesses. They made major staff shifts in their businesses they changed policies and procedures and how they recruited and like all this crazy stuff in fact i was blown away by the increase in call volume and the messages i got from people and um the changes they made in their business and these are the same type of people that we invited to a free event as well we just didn't see the same action taken by the attendees and our events weren't expensive like yours like it was a grand or two grand or or whatever but the the shit, the mindset shift in the result changes from actually paying, I found to be um, pretty wild. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I don't think there's anything wrong with charging for an event. I think sponsorship is great. Obviously, you guys are probably going to do it similar to the way you did the last one and Ringbo will be involved. Mm. We're big supporters of what you do and we'll continue to uh, support you in whatever endeavor you do. But um yeah, I just I wanted to throw throw that out there and get your thoughts because ultimately my goal is always to get people uh, to make breakthroughs and and change their their lives. And so I don't know if maybe you do your big event and then like a paid extra day upsell or something like that. But I just it's not even about the money. It's it's like about the accountability. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that was my exact thinking when I was originally charging for it. Is I thought it would be better to have a smaller, more intimate event in that capacity, but. I think the real reason that caused me to have to make it free um, was mainly just from poor planning. I think when I started the event, because when I looked at the ratio of people that signed up, at least, you know, 50% or more of them were uh, affiliate account managers or network reps or things like that. And I think a lot of people were probably going to be turned off to the fact that they paid two grand to be at this event. And over half of the people there at that point were going to be affiliate managers. Um, where they're also getting sold on all these products. So it, it, to be quite honest, it's probably just poor planning on my part because both of these masterminds have kind of been thrust upon me. They weren't even by my doing. Um, So I think if I had more time to plan, I'd be a little bit more selective about that and, um, you know, do it by invite only or something where I get to actually hand select the people coming in. But I mean, it was was a learning experience in that regard. And I think that... um, I'm very much so a jump off the cliff and build the parachute on the way down type of person. So I learned that a little, <laughs> a little too late. Uh, but on the next one, I'll definitely probably be, I, I'd like to think I'd be charging for it and then just being more selective on who comes. Yeah. I like, I, I, I didn't realize what you just said there. Now that I think about mm-hmm. it, you're right. There were a bunch of service providers. There were a bunch of affiliate managers. There were a bunch of um, non-affiliate related people at that event, which I think, I think changes it, right? Um, are yeah. the attendees going to get sold to by a bunch of people who are there? I think sort of changes the vibe. You have a really good point. Yeah, 
I mean, I think that was the issue was, yeah, there was about 35 affiliates. And I think at that point, like 40 or 50 people who worked at affiliate networks or services, and the ratio is just way off for them to be paying for this. Um, but once I opened it up to free, I got about another 100 affiliates um, and all the service for the record, providers. The, who came. Um, only team members for Ringba that were there were Adam and I. Right. Well, yeah, and you guys were sponsoring it, so you're 100% allowed to bring whoever you want, bring the whole team. Well, we didn't because, you know, no, you think didn't. that's the interesting thing about an event like yours. And whenever there's a mastermind event or something like that, Harrison and I try to show up ourselves in person. And if you've ever interacted with Harrison and I at an event or at a trade show, um, we don't sell. Like, we're not there to sell. We want to help people. It doesn't matter whether they're like a customer or not. Makes no difference at the end of the day. We just want to participate in the ecosystem. And you'll see this in our behavior all over the place. You and I were chatting about this the other day, Carter. Like, I don't post sales shit in Skype groups. I don't do any of that. Like, I'm here to serve the communities just like you. And I really appreciate um, and value our relationship because you're also a servant of the community. And I don't really think there are that many of those people floating around. And so I really appreciate enough, that's for yeah, sure. what, you, yeah. what you're doing. Um, and I, I love that you had the sponsors. I didn't think about it that way. And so I don't know what you have planned for the future. But um, yeah, I think, I think if you were to do an event that was like hand-selected attendees um, and charge for it, I think you could also host a sort of a different kind of event and you'd, you'd be incredibly successful at it. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's funny you mentioned that because we actually have another event that was last minute thrust upon me that's coming out in February. Um, I told you guys briefly about it before, but we're partnering with a really large Facebook ad account provider where they're basically inviting all their biggest media buyer spenders for an all inclusive uh, trip down to the Dominican Republic. Um, I think we have about 200 rooms available and whatever they don't fill, I'm going to post in my group and basically hand select people first. And if we have any left over, we can invite other people um but that one's going to be in february it's going to be much more a casual one similar to the tahoe one i did with we've discussed having speaking uh slots on there as well i don't think we've had anybody yet um if that's anything you guys have any interest in we can definitely discuss that further after the call too yeah i mean obviously it's schedule dependent for harrison and i our right. trade show schedule at the beginning of the year and event schedules rough if we can make it though mm -hmm. we'd love to do it um also in in reverse we did just uh, open the mastermind house here in, in Miami and we would love to give no specifics to the location because yeah. Anthony Paluzzi watches <laughs> to the podcast, please. Anthony Paluzzi is going to dox me again. Shout out to Anthony Paluzzi for posting our home address in the, in, in the Pelican chat. That was super sweet. I love it. Uh, when people post my home Adam address, I was super on pissed. I'm not gonna lie, I was a little pissed, but I did laugh. I was like, "Damn, bro, <laughs> we got fucking docs. We made it, dude." He called me back, Carter. He called me back. He's like, "Yo, I received a call from Adam Young. What's up, dude? This is rare." And it's like nine or ten o'clock at night, and I'm like, "Yeah, can you like remove my home address from that Skype group?" <laughs> he was like, "Oh shit. Oh, I took it too far. Oh no." Oh, no. oh, okay. Okay. I'll do it now. Like he realized yeah. right there that it was inappropriate. But anyways, back to what I was saying, yeah. Carter, Harrison and I would love to host, co-host a Pelican event with you in the Mastermind Penthouse in Miami sometime next year. I think we would want to hand select and do a paid event. Not, not because um, we, we, 
you know, we're interested in making money with it. In fact, if you want, we spend a hundred percent of the revenue on the event, making it awesome and just do all sorts of, we cool just want people to be attendees. invested in the event and be fully committed to growth personally and professionally. Yeah. And, and our experience shows that, you know, if you have a financial, you know, if you're putting money into this thing, you're going to be much more committed than if you don't. Yeah, Adam, I have, I'm hundred percent down. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. We're going to plan it. Penthouse Pelican coming in 2024. We're very excited. Adam, I was going to ask you a quick question. You mentioned about free events versus paid events, masterminds that you guys do and how the attendees get a lot more out of it, feel more obligated to get an ROI when it is paid. On the flip side, do you guys feel more obligated to like provide a certain level of value or a certain experience when it's paid versus free? Like, how does that yeah. change when you're the one putting on the mastermind? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that. So the last one we did, we had like uh, 25 or so CEOs in Las Vegas. We ended up spending a large amount of money on the venue, which was the chairman's villa at Palazzo, because we wanted everyone to be sort of in an, in an inspirational room. And it worked out really well. Also, the run up to that event, um, I spent three, I spent three weeks thinking about what I wanted to do at the event. And then I spent three weeks working on it. I had multiple team members working on it with me, um, just sort of outlining what we wanted to teach, the exercises we did. We printed a whole workbook for it, gave it to everybody, walked people through some workshop exercises that were really profound. And so all in all, if you look at the amount of time I put into writing, just me, not the rest of our team and the venue and the catering and all that, um, I feel like I spent more of my time than people paid for just to do it, plus all the actual hard costs and we spent the majority of the money we made on staff time travel the venue the catering so it was not profit for us in fact if you account for my time and the rest of our team's time we probably lost twenty thousand dollars hosting the event um in the end like openly uh obviously we'll get business from it and build better relationships they were all our customers and so it was almost customer appreciation and some told me I should have charged more for the event that we should have charged more for the event. But um, to answer your question, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I feel super obligated to perform when I take people's money, no matter what it's for, just like with Ringba. Um, we, we feel personally responsible for the success of our clients. And I know Harrison feels the same way. I know our team feels the same way and it comes through like, um, and, and I think it's the same for mastermind events. If someone's going to give us money, like I already know if someone's going to give Harrison Carter and Adam money for the penthouse Pelican in 2024, we're probably losing money on that event, even though we're going to collect $150,000 or something from the attendees, but sure. it's going to change the lives of the people who come. And so I don't even care if we lose money on it because it's just you know our mission is is bigger right more um, more importantly penthouse pelican 2024 are we going to refer to that as ppc 2024 ppc 24 i mean i like it ppc 24 like uh carter a couple more questions here before we let you get out of here you know in the first okay. paragraph of uh, your website it talks about you know your focus on scaling businesses so in your opinion like 
what does scaling a business look like to you? When is it viewed as successful or is there really no end to that process? Uh, I, I don't think there's ever really going to be an end. Like I think the reason a lot of people in the space are so successful is because they're constantly moving their goalposts every time they reach them. Um, that being said, it's always good to celebrate your wins when you have them. Um, in terms of scaling for me, the things I've had the most success with, um, with my past business coach, he said the easiest way to scale business is you have to, uh, something to scale has to be identifiable, repeatable, and duplicatable. So most importantly, one, you're going to have to be able to, to pick out what the exact thing is that's causing a result. You have to prove that you're able to repeat that consistently, and then you have to find a way to duplicate it. Um, so by following that process, I think that's the easiest way we've had with systematizing our companies and scaling it, such as um, my media buying process to delegate myself out of the day-to-day media buying. I had to start documenting everything I was doing um, before I was not having much success doing that because I was doing a call and speaking to people, um, basically assuming they knew certain things when they didn't. So I had to get very granular with it. It's very boring. The SOPs is my kryptonite. I absolutely hate doing it. But when you want to scale to a very high level, I think it is necessary. Um, and that was probably the biggest transition for me for scaling uh, that I had to get over. But it, we, we've seen really good results from doing something uh, similar to that. How many people are in the media buying team? Uh, on our media buying team, so we have the two separate media buying companies that filter into Policy Jar. As of right now, Policy Jar has no internal media buyer because we haven't built out an internal uh, lead generation offer yet, but that's coming soon. Um, on my team, I have, I believe, eight. And then I, on our other team, we have, I'd have to ask him for specifics, but I think he probably has about eight to 10 as well. Nice. So Carter, new new advertiser network is watching this episode. Small, trying to scale. What's your short answer on where they should focus their initial efforts? A new advertiser trying to scale, such as someone who's running traffic, what like no, like a new started. a new direct advertiser or a new affiliate network in this space is trying to grow. What would be like, I mean, it could just be any company. It doesn't even have to be that. Any company mm-hmm. small trying to get big, trying to scale their business. What would be like your short elevator pitch in terms of where they should start? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, especially new ones to the industry, what they, they see it as an advertising industry and what they fail to realize is it's also maybe even more so a networking industry. And from my experience, like all the biggest success and growth I've had is from showing up to events, talking to people who are already doing it. Uh, success leaves clues, as they say. So instead of me trying to figure out how to do it myself, I've had a significantly easier time getting on calls with people already having success, providing whatever value I can in, in hopes they'll exchange some value my way and tell me how to fill the holes in my business that need filling. So that would be my number one recommendation would be getting out and start networking. Something we've talked about a lot recently is, you know, the FCC and the new rulings and stuff like that. So just real quick, I'm curious, what's kind of your thoughts on the future of the industry paper call and maybe how, you know, inbound leads might really kind of be the future of where this space heads going forward? Yeah, this would have been an absolutely fantastic time to have Ryan on here as my handler to, to answer this question <laughs> for me, because that is, that is exactly what we pay on our company to do. Um, from my experience so far, it's, it's actually becoming a very, um, positive experience for us because we're doing everything completely internally. We're not reselling the data to anybody else and we're monetizing it ourselves. So we've yet to have that negatively affect our business. And it's, it's actually opening up a lot more opportunities for us. 
Um, the, the main thing I think that's going to change is a lot of these co-reg companies are going to either have to start dying out or adapt because their whole business model is predicated on reselling that data a hundred different times or a hundred different buyers. So they're going to have to come up with a different solution. Um, but we're bringing everything as in-house as possible. So for us, it's actually becoming an advantage over other people in the space who are getting knocked out by this. And uh, any conferences that our audience watching might be able to chat with you at in person coming up? Real quick, Josh, I, I love what Carter just said, that they're using this as an opportunity to kind of take things to the next level. Adam and I have seen this at multiple points in our career when we've been in a place where something changes and essentially destroys a bunch of people. And there are those that sit and cry about it and do nothing or just try to continue to do the old thing. And then there are those that effectively just figure some new shit out. And some people sink, other people swim. And, you know, to all of you that are in the space and panicking about the recent ruling, I think you should take what Carter just said to heart because although it may feel like it sucks now, it's a huge opportunity to just take things to the next level in a in a better way, not only for your business, but also for the consumer. Yeah. You have to constantly adapt. I have I have people I talk to now who still say, Oh, I, I haven't been able to get profitable since the iOS 14 update on Facebook. That was a year and a half ago. Year and a half ago. They basically yeah. just like, blamed what? that. Yeah, they haven't they haven't adapted or came up with new solutions or anything. Like but there's people who are still making money hand over fist with the new things that come out every time because they're willing to adapt. There will always be winners and losers anytime there's a change in a marketplace. You know, the key is, can you sit down and figure out the new angles and lead the way into the future? A lot of people struggle with that. It's a real entrepreneurial mindset and those people generally lose. But there's a lot of smart people working on the FCC thing, Josh. I was just on a reach call today uh, with a bunch of CEOs in the space who are working towards setting some standards for lead generation so that some of these things can be mitigated. I don't think it's going to destroy the industry. I just think it's going to wash out a lot of the uh, unscrupulous data brokers and a lot of the people who were selling age data that was resulting in, you know, me never being able to answer my phone again. So I was literally I just about to say, Adam, you know, look, you may be concerned about your revenue next year with these changes coming to effect, but look on the bright side, you're going to be able to answer the phone again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, look, I think affiliates, Always need to have a mindset of building a long-term sustainable business. It's something we advocate for. And I think that Carter's mindset's the right one. So if you're thinking like Carter and Ryan at Policy Jar going, how do I deliver an exceptional experience to a consumer and provide really good LTV, uh, LTVs to my buyers and listen and learn and make sure that they're de delivering quality uh, phone calls? then you guys are going to thrive. And as more and more people disappear who can't adapt to the regulation, who don't want to adopt this mindset, it's just going to create more opportunity for the Carters out there and the smart people who are willing to change and do a better job. Because at the end of the day, we just want to see consumers happy, buyers happy, and everyone involved happy. And you know, I think the FCC took a step in the right direction here. And it's going to create a ton of opportunity for people. And, and it should be very very sustainable so if you crack this nut you're talking about building a really um a really great long-term business one that has enterprise value one that can be sold which isn't typical for most affiliates carter just going back to what you said the importance of networking where can someone network with you in the near future are you going to be at affiliate summit west in vegas or any of the upcoming conferences in the near future 
The near future, the soonest one, I'll be at Lead Gen World in Florida. I think that's three weeks from now. All right, cool. Well, I hope to meet you in person soon. I appreciate you coming on the 50th Silver Edition of the Affiliate Marketing Show. I'm Josh from Offer Vault. Mr. Paper Call, Adam Young, the industry legend, Harrison Gewurz, and Carter York, co-founder of Policy Jar. Let's make that paper. Let's make that dough. This was the Affiliate Marketing Show. We will see you next time.